Hello and welcome to a Wonder Care podcast. I'm Sheena Mitchell, a pharmacist and mum of three. I combine healthcare and practical advice to support you on your parenting journey. This week, I'm diving into a really important topic. It's one that I'm sometimes a little bit nervous to talk about because mums already feel under an awful lot of pressure when they have a newborn. There's so much chat about how you feed your baby and it can be a little bit overwhelming. So from the start, I want to say that no matter how you feed your child, you are a success. Breastfeeding can be difficult for many parents for many different reasons. A happy formula fed baby and a happy mum is an absolutely winning combination. For those of you who are maybe expecting a baby or you're in the early days of your journey, I really wanted to record this episode to encourage you and to explain the benefits and to bring a special expert who I'll introduce shortly to make your life a little bit easier in those early months. We have a huge chat all about the difficulties of the early weeks of breastfeeding and lots of tips to make the whole journey easier. Today I am joined by Nicola O'Byrne. You can find Nicola on Instagram at Nicola underscore lactation consultant. And Nicola is a lactation consultant based in Churchtown. But Nicola, you also do an awful lot of online work as well. Most of my classes after you've had your baby and before you have the baby would be online, live online. And then I see people one to one afterwards in the office in Churchtown. Or actually, you know, in the last few weeks, there's been quite an upturn in online consults again, which was surprising. I think a lot of people love the online, I suppose, (laughs) way of communicating. It's so easy and handy, especially when you've got young kids at home. It can be hard to get out of the house. The upsides of it are if you have somebody there who could hold a camera and move the camera around, it actually works really well. And I think it's even more empowering for the mothers because they're doing it themselves. You know, I remember during COVID, we used to record every consult so they could go back and they could look at it. And it just integrated all the information. Yes. And that is really useful to look back on because you might have a problem when your baby's nine days old, but then you might have a problem when they're nine weeks old. And you yeah. don't have a clue what you did to fix it nine weeks ago. You know? yeah. or, or, you know, you're in the office and it all works wonderfully, or you go into the breastfeeding group in the hospital and it all works wonderfully. And then you come home and you go, why can't I do it now? So most of the time, even in the office now, the part where we're doing latching and positioning, we'll record that with the camera phone if the mother wants to. Just, it really helps them relax and go, okay, I don't have to remember absolutely everything here. Just talking about that before we came online, that uh, traditionally breastfeeding is spoken about as a natural, easy kind of, you know, (laughs) job to do. And I was saying that that was not my experience. And I am so glad that you have joined me today because obviously as a community pharmacist, I have a special interest in the area of breast milk on its health benefits for both mums and babies. So just breastfeeding itself. And then also of breast milk as a medicine. So using it to treat minor conditions. And it's really, really fascinating. So I'll run through the I suppose, evidence-based that there is just to show mums how powerful breastfeeding is and how real and tangible the benefits are for both baby and mum. And then hopefully everyone will realise that actually, if I can get on board with this, there's a lot of benefits. So that's when you're going to come in and fix all those early week problems because it's certainly not easy. So I'm definitely glad to have you here for all the tips for mums for that. In terms of health benefits... It's important to remember that breast milk is a dynamic food. 
This means that it changes in response to your baby's needs, both nutritionally and immunologically. It's been shown that breastfed babies have a lower risk of many diseases. So I'll give you some examples now. Diarrhea, vomiting, preterm necrotizing enterocolitis, respiratory infections such as RSV, pneumonia, whooping cough, bacterial meningitis, ear infections, asthma, sudden infant death syndrome, childhood obesity and leukemia in childhood. Further down the road, breastfed babies are less likely to develop eczema and type 2 diabetes later in life. And the same is said for celiac disease and inflammatory bowel disease. Antibodies flow from mum to baby in response to illness. This helps to support your baby's immune system, which makes them less likely to be sick. There are also a whole host of benefits to mum. So in the early months after delivery, a breastfeeding mum has a reduced risk of postnatal depression. Breastfeeding mums often recover quicker from childbirth due to the release of oxytocin during breastfeeding. Oxytocin causes your uterus to contract back towards its original size, and this can also reduce the amount of vaginal bleeding. Further down the road, breastfeeding can reduce the risk of a mother developing breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, thyroid cancer, osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So it's clear that the benefits are really, really extensive. Breast milk itself can also be used as a remedy and a lot of mums find it really helpful to use it in a whole host of different ways. Breastfeeding can be really useful when you have a baby with a sore throat. It can also be used if your baby has conjunctivitis. A simple way to do this is to express a few drops of breast milk onto a cotton pad and then use this to remove sticky or hard discharge from your baby's eyes. So always remember when using a cotton pad near your baby's eyes, it's just a single wipe from the inner part of the eye to the outside part of the eye because you don't want to risk reusing the cotton wool in case you spread infection. It can also be used as a remedy for rash. So it can help with eczema or sensitive skin. If you've got a few patches, you can just apply a little bit again on a cotton pad and dab the sensitive or irritated area. In this case, it can actually help to reduce skin infections due to the antibodies. The same can be said for nappy rash, dribble rash and even sore gums. Really, the power of breast milk and breastfeeding is truly remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it really is. We call it magic milk, Sheena. And the thing is, we don't actually know an awful lot of what it does to. Down to, like, you know, the hamnet cells that will fight cancer when they use hamnet cells from breast milk that will fight, fight cancer. I remember I had, um, I had a, it was actually a friend, oh, it must be 15 years ago now, and her baby was born with diaphragmatic hernia. So that was where there's a hole in the baby's diaphragm. So one of her lungs was really underdeveloped because the intestines had, hadn't let it grow. She had a bit of a rocky kind of early, early few weeks, but then had surgery. They closed off the hole. This mum was breastfeeding because she breastfed her first baby and she was determined that this one needed it. And she continued breastfeeding when she came home from the hospital. And when she went back to the paediatrician at about, I think maybe it was nine months, she, um, the paediatrician sent her down for an x-ray to check to see how the lungs were looking. Now, when she came out of the initial kind of surgery and everything, her left lung was fully developed, but her right lung was underdeveloped, like much smaller. And when she brought the x-ray back to her, the paediatrician said, oh, this must be the wrong 
they must have mixed up the x-rays. This couldn't possibly be your x-ray. And it turned out that it was, that this was the baby's x-ray and the right lung was completely normal. And when we talked about it and everything, we realized obviously breast milk really, really helped. But the act of breastfeeding was also what really helped because it's aerobic exercise for the baby. And because the baby had to use this kind of energy to feed and use her lungs to feed when she's breastfeeding, it inflated the lung and grew it more. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's magic. And that is very true because you really do notice when you're feeding a baby and obviously, you know, I fed my own children for various lengths of time. My first daughter, it was just a struggle from start to finish because she just wasn't doing what I was trying to schedule her to do. And I just couldn't (laughs) understand it. But um, I think watching them breastfeed versus watching them take a bottle, huge amount of extra effort. So it's very easy to imagine that physiological change happening because... Mm -hmm. As you say, it's it's basically physio for, yeah. you know, all of yeah. those muscles in that area. So that's amazing. In terms of, I suppose, the medical evidence that I mentioned there, is there anything else that you've come across, you know, or anything that I've missed? Well, I have a couple of favorite ones. Colostrum. So colostrum is misunderstood in that people think it's just a very small amount and, you know, and it's good for the baby, but they don't understand that actually what it does is, it acts like a paintbrush on a baby's bowel, like a coat of varnish. So one small feed of colostrum will coat the whole baby's bowel and will stop bacteria and viruses entering into the baby's body. It's almost like it's it's magical. Pushes out the meconium, the first stool. It acts like a laxative on the bowel. So another one that, you know, I really think is amazing is the fact that the mother will pass antibodies through her milk to the baby. If she has a cold or, or flu or even COVID, like look at COVID, look at the evidence that came out about breast milk and COVID. And definitely I saw a lot more mothers saying, I'm going to breastfeed and I'm going to keep breastfeeding. First of all, because sure, I'm not going anywhere anyway. <laughs> but I also, I also want to give my baby the antibodies bodies so if they do get COVID they'll be protected somewhat so one of the other things that I love is the washback effect that when the baby is attached to the breast their saliva actually enters into through the nipple into the mother's breast and so any bugs that the baby has will be passed in the mother will make the antibodies and pass them back to the baby so it's uh, that it's, is amazing it's almost like natural vaccination you know what I mean? Nature's way of vaccinating. In the in the NICUs, you know, where obviously breast milk for a preterm baby is is like medicine for them. They have to get it because of necrotizing enterocolitis. The earlier they are, the more important it is. But um, they do this thing in the in the NICUs where, where they have a piece of cloth that they swap. So the mum takes it one day and then the baby has it in the incubator the next day. And what they're doing is they're swapping back and forth their natural flora. Yes. So, yeah, so there's, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty cool. They really? say that if breast milk was developed now as a product, it would win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> and that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because it just shows, and I'm as bad as anyone, like, I'll go off and buy a mindfulness book and never read it and go, great, sorted, <laughs> did that, tick off the list. Like, we have become really impatient and really busy, and we're looking for easy fixes to everything. And breastfeeding is an amazing fix for everything, but it's not easy. For a small percentage of people, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Like, they don't generally 
like one of the things I know that you were asking me about was, was is pain normal? You know, like does everybody have pain at the beginning of breastfeeding when they start? And no, they don't. And I could I see mothers like day in, day out. Some of them could have the worst latch in the world where their babies are literally hanging, cliffhanging, as we say, and they've no pain. Yeah. And then we get somebody who really their technique and everything is very good. And, you know, they're getting their baby in nice and close and everything. And yet they have excruciating pain. So there's always other things that you look at that, that, that I'd be looking at to try and figure out what's going on. Like, for example, just today I saw a mother. She had her third baby and she was having excruciating nipple pain and she'd never had any pain on her first two. And she was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I cannot figure this out. The baby didn't have a tongue tie. There was no reason why she should have. I always, as a pharmacist, jump to potential thrush because it like, and I know obviously yeah. it can affect everyone, but it can be a big source of that. There's needles being stuck in my nipples, toe curl pain. Or, yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's not normal. So that's a good thing maybe to mm-hmm. have checked by yeah yeah and you know i think thrush is one of those ones that generally there's two ways it'll present one is that the mother has had a a period of breastfeeding where it was completely pain-free and then developed pain okay and you tend to see that more in the later six months in the six to twelve months you'd see that more and then there's thrush then in the early days where the nipple has got really infected and maybe the mother's had mastitis and everything and then she gets thrush from all of that that the nipple just won't heal because even though the infection and all is gone, there's still no growth. And then if you're not treating it properly, because obviously, you know, just like the good transfers from mum to baby, mm. candida, which is a thrush infection and um, fungus, does the same thing. So if you're treating, obviously, mum for thrush, there is that question of how you manage the baby who potentially has oral thrush mm-hmm. as well. It can just be a vicious cycle of it passing from you to the baby and backwards. Yeah. Well, you know, I find that if it's if it's treated effectively, one of the things that I see being said a lot is I see mothers coming to me and they would have had used dactrinoral gel on their nipples, which isn't suitable for nipple for nipple tissue. It doesn't penetrate the, the epithelium on the on the nipples. So they need to use dactrin ointment or dactrin cream on the nipple to really clear the thrush. A dactrinoral gel is for the baby's mouth, it's not for the nipple. Actually, even with dactrinoral gel for the baby's mouth that's it's quite a thick gel and there mm-hmm. is a little choke hazard if yeah. they're you know kind of under two or three months so there is better medicines out there so mm-hmm. you know like even yeah. you know on prescription as well little oral drops and whatnot that mm-hmm. do the same job but you're absolutely right and I definitely think you know I think even flagging that these kind of issues can happen is really good mm-hmm. and what do you do if there's someone who like they're in the hospital and they're like, ow, ow, I don't like this. You know, like, because that happens a lot, you know. It's just sore. Is it usually a problem with the latch? Or is it, is it a case that your nipples are just so in shock of what's going on? There's a certain amount of wearing them in, okay? Like, for some people, just learning how to latch 
the baby on and doing it quickly. Because when the baby latches, it takes the nipple from the front of their mouth right back to the back of their mouth. And so if they're not doing that fast, <laughs> um, they'll pull it. Because you really want to get the baby's chin into the breast and the chin and the cheeks should be touching in a, in a really good latch. And most of the time when I'm, people are saying to me, do I really need to hold them that close? And I'm going, yes, like, you know, they're plastered to you in the early days, like no gaps at all between your breast and the baby's cheek. And even trying to get them off, it's like gotta hook your finger in there and break that skill. So I generally say, put your finger in between their gums and then turn it so you break the seal. If you just put your finger in, they'll just suck your finger. So yeah, it's it's nerve wracking. <laughs> I, I actually really liked that phase of breastfeeding where, you know, you're in the early days and obviously your baby is too young to communicate with you in any meaningful sense in a normal kind of yeah communication yet when they're feeding oh mm. they communicate quite well and there's a lot of bang 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 this one's kind of not working anymore yes yeah <laughs> or whatever and you know it's so funny and mm -hmm. it is a lovely I think that's a lovely thing and actually I remember by baby number two <laughs> so it definitely took me to the second child kind of learning more about reading their cues it really helped me and then it helped me even breastfeeding my second child successfully helped me parent because I had pretty much Irish twins. It was like 14 months between okay. them. And it really helped me parent the 14-month-old better because obviously I wasn't feeding her because she had given up a long time ago. But just in terms of sleep cues and kind of just getting to watch and slow down and to realize that the little nuances, the little kind of... Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that is so true. Because that's one of the things that, you know, um, I know we were going to talk about what can people do to prepare yeah. for breastfeeding? Like, can you prepare for breastfeeding? Um, you can't prepare for like actual breastfeeding. You can learn about latching and positioning, but it is really useful to know what normal baby behavior is. It's really useful to know like what happens a baby if somebody puts their hand on the back of the baby's head, they'll try and latch back towards the hand. You know, because the, the rooting reflex is all over their head. It's not just on their cheeks. So there's all of these kind of things that set breastfeeding kind of make it really stressful. If you're holding the back of the baby's head when they're latching on, they're going to resist it. I actually never knew that. I would say that it's probably the number one cause of babies refusing to latch in the early days. They just get totally confused. And if the babies have had a vacuum or forceps or anything, their heads are, are, are extra tender. So you have to be very careful about hand placement and where you hold them because at that stage that's when you know if someone else is holding them you know your partner or your mother mm -hmm. your sister they can tend to do a little bit like they're rooting around anywhere to try yeah. and find food realistically yeah. so a dad today said to me oh she, she latched onto my nose last night <laughs> <laughs> and he said and he said oh my god and like she can really suck <laughs> like finally you understand and one thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of the preparation for breastfeeding. So I was that mom who read every book that ever existed. And, you know, I was a pharmacist. I thought I knew loads of stuff. And I didn't, turns out. Like, I did know about treating ailments, but I did not know about the reality of actually feeding and whatnot. Yeah. And reading will bring you so far. And I know there's a lot of mums listening who probably have read online about pumping pre-labor to produce some <laughs> colostrum to have you know for the sake of having i'm delighted to partner with one of my all-time favorite products salon plus this is the world's first 100 natural dry salt therapy device 
It's clinically proven to relieve a wide variety of allergens and respiratory conditions. The salt therapy method has been trusted for generations and has become hugely popular worldwide as more and more people recognise the superb results achieved from a natural and non-invasive method. This device will help you breathe easier and sleep better. Is there, now, I always look for various reasons, like pumping colostrum can actually obviously stimulate contractions. Is that correct? If you are somebody that has high risk, so if you are somebody who has a risk of preterm labor, if you've got a cervical suture in situ, if you've had low-line placenta. So the evidence would have shown in a big randomized controlled trial in, in Australia that it didn't send people into labor. But the recommendation is that if you start to do antenatal expression or harvesting of colostrum and you start to get Braxton Hicks or contractions or any lower back pain, that you should stop. Okay. Um, so the, the evidence says, no, it doesn't. But then they do say, be careful. <laughs> do you know what? Especially that last week, it could even be from your 40 weeks and you're like, well, get out anyway. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, one of the ways that people kind of, if they're if they're kind of in early labor and they want to help things along is they will do antenatal expression yeah. um, to get oxytocin going. Yes. Um, so but it is, you know, it's one of those things that's become very, very popular in the last 10 years is antenatal expression. I do sell a pack and a video to teach mums how to do it. But I'd always be very clear about the fact that like one in five people who do it will get nothing. Yes. Okay. And that doesn't mean they won't have a lovely breast milk supply afterwards, but they just don't have colostrum that's freely flowing. Yeah. Um, the average amount that people get is probably between six and 10 mils and that's expressing every day. So that's small amounts daily. Yeah. But afterwards, it is really useful if you've got a sleepy baby, if you've got a baby that doesn't latch. It takes the pressure off you to be providing the colostrum yeah. straight away. So you can kind of, it's almost like it's a little bit of an insurance policy. Backup, yeah. Yeah. And you don't often get backups, you know, when you're mm-hmm. breastfeeding in the early days. It can be hard. And actually, yeah. that just brings me on to another question. Again, look, I'm, I'm kind of digging into my own experiences here because they're probably quite commonplace. My first baby was uh, Frank Breach and there was no way I was being allowed to deliver naturally. So she was, she turned it like 39 weeks or 38 and a half weeks. Anyway, um, so she was a C-section. And then my second one, I tried to have naturally and she is as stubborn now as she was then and she refused to come out and it was 12 days over when they eventually were like no get in here and then my third child I went into labor while waiting for a c-section in Hollis Street which you know was kind of nice in a way that I went oh look my body does work I was like can I have it naturally now and they're like no sit up there now you're going to in so all section deliveries and there was obviously they say that there's a delay for breast milk coming in. Now, I didn't, I don't know if I was aware of of it as much in my first child, more that I didn't realize they weren't working. So, so long as she was kind of feeding away, whether Mm -hmm. she was getting anything or not, I wasn't experienced enough to know and I just kind of went where she must be. And she was unsettled anyway, probably because of that. But (laughs) let's move on. Remembering it all as you... (laughs) Yes. And the same with the second and third. And I do remember, you know, you do feel like it's only very small amounts you're producing. Yeah. And there is a certain amount and things could have changed. So I am not in any way um, being negative. But from my experience in the maternity hospital, there was pressure put on me to give a bottle at that point. And only for I really didn't want to and kind of stood my ground. 
But it's very, you're very vulnerable when you've just had a baby. And if someone tells you that you're harming them, you're very frightened and you're very scared and you feel like a horrible person. And you just, you know, you would very easily say yes. And I think, you know, there was probably times where I was just on the edge. And it's not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with someone giving a bottle in that situation. I'm really, actually, I think that's really important to say. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you don't have, you can't. But for me, because I had wanted to exclusively breastfeed, which didn't work out in the first baby. So that's good for people to know as well. They might end up. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And they might give a a bottle the first day and they might never again. Like there's no stress. And I know there's this whole thing with the virgin gut and all the bacteria, but like ultimately a happy mum will feed for longer. And those benefits are so great. You know, that's just my tuppence on it. Because it is, it's a guilt-ridden territory. Um, If yeah. you were heard virgin gut when you think about it, like, oh, yeah, it's not very nice. I'm trying my best, do you know? Sorry. <laughs> I, I have seen, actually, I think that term induces so much um, lack of confidence in people, yeah. you know, that it really makes it so yeah. much harder if they, if that's what their, if that's what their aim is. Yeah, because you, know? you feel like, you've already failed yeah and so you may as well give up and that's simply not true Um, exactly and and I think as well you know like that there's an awful lot more people out there who are combination feeding than what we know of when they count up the um the numbers for breastfeeding it's always the exclusive numbers that we hear about so I have five kids and so if I was gonna like be included in the numbers for whatever year three of my kids would not would not have been exclusively breastfed and yet they all fed until they were 18 months two years plus so you know um we do really need to rethink the way we're we're counting and um because i even remember a situation where i was getting the train my baby was six weeks old my first one and i was getting the train on my own and i was really i always had a small little bottle of optimal in my Mm -hmm. handbag for a backup and i hadn't hadn't used it to that point. I remember being on the train and there was a stag party sitting beside me, all around me. And I, as a first time, actually, do you know, by third child, they would have all gotten a full show and I wouldn't have cared. But baby number one, I really did care. And I remember like half crying while giving her this little bottle of optimal. And like, that's just, I just wish more people would go like, that's okay. Like you can go back to feeding, as you said, for a long time after that. Mm. So, that whole issue yeah. is important. Um, I'm just going to say as well, though, yeah. <laughs> one thing is that Optimal is not the lightest formula that's out there. Okay? Yeah. It's the most heavily marketed one, which means that more people in our demographic will, will use that. But it's purely the way it's marketed. The other formulas are actually the same. Do you have a favourite? <laughs> Do I have a favourite? <laughs> I, I well, I'm not going to. Um, I would look for something organic. Um, but you know, a lot of the time, what I'm saying to people is that, like, this is not your baby's main food. This is just to grow the baby. The baby's getting all their immunity and all of their things from the breast milk, and this is just to put a little bit of extra fat on the bones that we need this baby to grow a bit faster and be stronger. But I think that there's an excellent website in the UK called First Steps Nutrition. It's an independent watchdog for the formula companies. And it goes through what's in every formula and what the evidence is, what the what the formula company is saying 
versus what actually the evidence is. And I think if you go and read there, they have an area for professionals and an area for parents. If you go and read their baby milk report, you'll see quite clearly that, you know, you don't need to use the ones that have all the fancy fancy things in it because none of the things that are in it have actually been proven to be beneficial. It's like with a lot of the multivitamin brands, I'm like, well, actually, you don't need half that nonsense because there's no evidence. Yeah. 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 Um, And I will put that link. So thank you for that. I'll put that in the show notes for people. So that'll be on the website, Mm wondercare.ie, under the podcast episode, because that sounds brilliant, actually. And another thing I want to say there as well, well, two things. The first thing is, you know, you spoke about maybe putting fat on on baby and that's, Mm. you know, a topic that comes up a lot because, you know, my children were all quite lean because they were predominantly breastfed. And that's okay too, because you will have grandparents or people come over going, oh, jeez, but you you know, basically like coming over to a skinny woman and telling her to eat a burger. You're like, I, mine were all Buddhas, like they had rolls of fat on them. And, and I was then accused of feeding them too much. Yeah. Even though it was breast milk. So you can't win. No, you can't. Somebody and, will always have an opinion. And the other thing I just wanted to say there, because while I'm saying an emergency bottle might be a big mental health mm-hmm. you know, relief to you, the other thing that was pointed out to me, and I always remember it because it is true, anytime you're not feeding your baby, your body, like two days later, is not going to have that feed for your baby, you know, or it'll have a reduced amount. So just mm-hmm. to remember, like, I remember one night just being so touched out and not being able to deal with feeding the baby. But I still got up. My husband fed her or him, mm-hmm. which one was, an expressed bottle that I had during the day. And I actually got up and pumped and went back to sleep because it was actually just easier than having to change a nappy, settle the yeah. baby if they took an hour to go back to sleep. And I just wasn't able to do all of that. Yeah. But I still wanted to be, you know, for this. Absolutely. That's that's like really good management, I would say, of, you know, of the postnatal period is that it's also looking at the mother as well as the baby. It is not all about breastfeeding and the baby. The mother has to be included in that whole circle. Um, People get so much attention when they're pregnant and everybody is lavishing, you know, (laughs) you know, helping them and doing this and doing that. And then they have their baby and it's all about the baby. (laughs) So, you know, and that's why we have such high rates of postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety. Um, It's not even depression as such. A lot of the time it's like really bad anxiety. Um, And I, I would be a big fan of if you have an horrific time in the hospital and you've had a birth that just knocked you completely and it does happen and you come home and you're just like ready to you can't see the wood for the trees a reset can make a big difference which is like you pump you go to bed and you sleep and then you start again yeah and we used to I remember going back to work quite early for a few days after my first daughter because obviously I'm a pharmacist Mm -hmm. we had no cover on certain days and that was just it and I remember some evenings I I would pump, you know, during the day if I could any little bits. And then my husband would give that or it could be if I didn't have enough, it could be a bit of formula mixed in with it even. It was like whatever we could get. And he would give, I'd go to bed at nine o'clock after, say, cluster feeding, sitting on the couch and feeding from seven to nine and just hanging out basically. And then he'd take the baby and the baby would have a snooze down with him and then he'd give that bottle at like maybe 11 12 and sneak the baby back into the cops at my bed and then he'd go off to sleep and i'd wake up at four with this magic baby having had seven hours yeah. gone 
isn't this great? So yeah. yeah, like I don't think you need to suffer by being a martyr. It's teamwork. It's teamwork and it has changed, you know, like back in the days people would be with their baby 24 hours a day and there wasn't an alternative. And now what we do as women is just so much more than what we ever did. Yeah. Um, so you cannot expect that breastfeeding will be the same. There will be the lucky people who are able to stay at home, you know, for six months or 12 months and exclusively feed and never go near a bottle or a pump if that's what they want. But yeah. they certainly shouldn't be, people shouldn't be shamed for, yeah. you know, breastfeeding and doing the very best they can yeah and that that's exactly it so it's interesting there I was just thinking about like the Irish breastfeeding figures and today I don't want to really look any further than the six months because this is really about you know you're pregnant or um you've just had a baby and you know you might even be contemplating giving up or whatever it's just to highlight the real life battles and the reality Mm -hmm. as we said earlier and the benefits of actually sticking with it but realizing that again you don't need to be a martyr there's ways of sticking with it without you know exclusively breastfeeding Mm -hmm. or by doing a bit of pumping or by whatever you need to do so you were saying obviously the the figures are probably better because those figures are only including exclusively breastfed babies do you know are the figures in ireland over the last say five years or ten years is it improving or is it getting worse? No, it's improving. Yeah, the last figure I heard was we're just after National Breastfeeding Week. And on I, what was the number I heard? 62% at the postnatal, at the public health nurse check. Wow. So like, I was like, wow, that's because I think 57 was the last one. Now, it's going to be interesting because we know that more people breastfed during COVID. Okay. Um, so this is going to be kind of interesting to see what happens now. Will it continue to go up? But I would, I, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who had a baby 10 years ago and she just had her another baby. And she said the difference in the hospital was unbelievable. She found it so much more supportive. And so like all of the hospitals, particularly the Dublin hospitals, I, well, I, I don't know that much about the ones, you know, around the country, but um, the Dublin hospitals are really, you know, investing in breastfeeding and have improved an awful lot of, you know, the services and, and each one, obviously, you know, they have places where they fall down, but you're nothing is perfect. I think things are moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see mothers getting more postnatal visits, going home earlier and having somebody coming every day who was just doing breastfeeding stuff with them. I remember when I had um, my second child and feeding did go quite well with her, I like much better than with my first baby. But I remember actually it was the nine day mark and she just stopped latch like she just wouldn't actually feed. And, you know, it was hours and hours were passing in the day and I was getting nervous because she was so little. And I remember emergency calling a lactation consultant out to the house and she spent an hour with us and it was gas like the spider fingers i can't even remember there was all these weird techniques I swear to god the child latched on that was it never again a problem so the value of a lactation consultant and that expertise and literally and i know like i know a lot of people won't like this but the hands-on help is actually amazing <laughs> hands-on help with consent well, obviously. <laughs> well, you'd think, obviously, but, you know, some mothers do feel violated when somebody, okay. you know, manhandles them without asking. Well, that's understandable. People come from, and I think I'm quite approved in general, actually. I think a lot of women in Ireland are. It's the way, yeah. you know, our society was. Like, I'm still the one who's tripping over myself in the gym shower, trying not to let anyone see a boob now. 
I suppose that's another big challenge. But as people start to get through the early weeks, they want to go out to cafes and feeding in public can be a big thing. But it's so like clothes are so much better designed that you can really keep your yourself kind of hidden. And I used to have a little scarf, a light scarf I'd put over. And it's all very possible. And I did find that very few people were shocked and most people were trying to smile down at you in a sexy way because they were trying to show you support. And I think the more people that feed out and about, the better, because it gets rid of that kind of fear. I was never really that phased when I had my first, second, third. Fourth was a bit iffy. But anyway, when I had the fifth, I really felt like I was a mother duck, like with the ducks behind me. I was forever counting children. <laughs> but whatever I was doing this day, I decided I'd go to the playground at the Phoenix Park with them all. They were on holidays. And that was somewhere where I could contain them. You know, like the, 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 the gate was closed and so nobody could go anywhere. So I arrived in and the little one must have been, in, I don't know, two or three months old. And they were all playing. I sat down and I went to feed her on the bench. And this woman smiled at me and she came over and she said to me, you're doing a great job there. Can I get you a tea or coffee from the shop? Oh, God, I wanted to cry. Yeah, you would cry. That would make me cry. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it mad? Just that, you know, we do want approval. We do need to praise mothers and yeah. recognise what they have done. I don't think it ever left me that feeling that I could grow my baby on the outside. Like that you grow them inside and then you can grow them with your own milk on the outside. And that's what we're not used to, you know, and that confidence in our bodies, because we never doubt that our lungs are going to work or, you know, that our heart is, is not going to work or, and all that. But we always doubt that our boobs will work. It was definitely a big change in pace of life and in my independence. So mm-hmm. it's a big leap to go from kind of being a busy person who's busy. I love to be busy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously having a baby, it took me, you know, a long time to realize that you don't, you know, you don't, you don't be busy. Like it's boring. Having a baby is all you can do because yeah. they're, they're not going to cooperate. <laughs> You're just better to chill out and relax and just try and accept that what you're doing is enough. Minding a newborn mm-hmm. is enough. You don't need to be, I suppose, achieving 10 different goals. Yes. It's a yeah. magic time. And it doesn't last very long. And mm-hmm. there is life after breastfeeding and your children get older and more independent and so easy to mind. Like mine now are yeah. lovely age. And it does get so much easier. So just to allow yourself that bit of time so that you're not always fighting yourself. Yeah. Like, to lie on the couch if you need to lie on the couch or and, and and it hasn't really ever been studied i would love to see you know different personality types and how they approach breastfeeding and certainly the mother who's an a-type personality who likes everything in a box and you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, they do struggle yeah because you have to succumb to it and they this is part of the whole early weeks of breastfeeding like Every mother has to feed a different amount of times to make the amount of milk that she needs for her baby because nobody has the same storage capacity on each side. Nobody has the same amount of breast cells and the babies are different in the way they suck and the way they they extract the milk. So it's it's all a big conundrum for the early days and it has to be worked out between the two of you. So giving people advice about, oh, only feed them every three hourly or don't feed them three hourly or only feed them for 15 minutes on each side it really doesn't work and it doesn't teach the parents anything intuitive, which is what yeah. you get to. You know that bit where you get to go and, yeah, I know you've had enough now. <laughs> yeah. I had somebody in the last few days who her feeds were taking ages. 
and the baby was gaining enough weight and you know everything was okay but she was like this just takes so much effort and and I said well how are you when are you swapping them over like when are you swapping them from one boob to the other and she goes I'm not I'm only feeding them one breast because that was what I was told to do and like the minute she saw the difference swapping the baby to the second side after the swallowing had slowed down it was yeah. like <laughs> it was like a light bulb the supply is an issue as well because if you've got a lower supply I used to always go oh gosh now both my boobs are empty and yet here in another hour they're not gonna you know I did always struggle with supply but there is a lot you can do to help that and I know like mums listen like I started eating kind of porridge and Mm -hmm. oat bars and that really did help a lot and there's things like fenugreek and all yeah we're you know I I think that what I would like people to know is that the one way to make more milk is to remove more yeah um foods and fluids and all of that they do have some role but what we know now about kind of foods like oats and barley and all of that is that they are supportive of a milk supply but they don't increase a low milk supply um fenugreek is actually the same evidence has come out about fenugreek that it will support a good milk supply but for improving and raising milk supplies, there are better things. If you can match whatever you're going to use to the reason why the mother isn't producing a full milk supply, like say if she has thyroid levels that are not optimal and if she's on you know, thyroid drugs or if the mother has polycystic ovaries and has insulin resistance, we'll use other things. Yes. But um, the first thing you do is you make sure Every bit of milk that's there has been taken out. <laughs> yes, effectively. Yeah, very good. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you. I remember being in the hospital because I had sections. I was in there a bit longer and I had a good opportunity in Hollis Street to see a lactation consultant, which was great. But is that a thing now? Like, do people in general see lactation consultants in the hospital or is it private practice when you get home? It varies massively between the hospitals. Okay. Some hospitals, their policies would be that the midwives are trained in breastfeeding support and that unless there is a problem with the baby, that that's when the LC comes in. So sometimes people will ask to see the lactation consultant and they'll be told, you don't need to see the lactation consultant, like everything's fine. So it's, it depends. Some hospitals will really make an effort to try and, the LC will try and get around to everybody while they're in. But then it isn't a 24-hour service. Most of the time it's not the weekends. It's improved a little bit, but... It's limited hours. I suppose to summarise some big learnings from our chat, I think definitely, you know, realising that feeding is a big job and it's okay for it to be a little bit consuming. At the oh, start. completely. Like it is going to be all consuming. <laughs> I was trying to be like yeah. well, you know, babies get faster at feeding and milk supplies go up and up and up over the first few weeks. So what takes a huge amount of effort in the beginning, by the time most people get to six, eight weeks, they're going, I'm really glad I stuck with this. <laughs> yeah, you can see the benefits. And it is so handy, like never having to have kind of bottles ready or be cleaning bottles. Like it was amazing when I got it right. It was just amazing. And even when I was back at work after my third child was six months, you know, I fed him to a year and I used to so look forward to coming home and lifting him for a dream feed that yeah. he really did not need, that I just needed more than him. That's okay. Yeah. it's not just all about the baby, remember? 
Yeah, and it was so cute. And I still have such happy memories of like that little chair. And I'd sit there and just relax from the day. Like it was just a lovely time. But there's so um there's so many benefits when you get there. But it is just to try and stick with those early months and to seek help when you need it. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like it's really, really difficult and it's really, really hard, the chances are there are things you can do to make it easier. Yeah. And and that's where people like me come in. Thank you so, so much for joining You're me. Welcome. <laughs> Hopefully all of those tips and all of that very honest reality will, I suppose, make it easier for people to gain the benefits, which are so vast and so clear mm. on a medicinal and clinical level of breastfeeding and breast milk so that they can make the most of nature and reduce any uh, interference of a modern world with that lovely simple relationship which is mother and baby so thank you so much for joining us today thank you Sheena bye